All right, so we're going we're gonna to look at a story. I'm just calling this the king's gifts. So many of you or most of you are familiar with the magi, the wise men, or the three kings, right? Anybody grow up hearing um, the song, the, the song of the we three kings of, I'm not even going to try to attempt to sing it. I'm going to spare all of you for a minute. Um, but we're, we're talking about those guys. You know, they show up on the scene. Um, there's a chance that Jesus is anywhere from relatively newborn all the way up to two years old. We're not entirely sure. We know that these guys started a journey that lasted a couple of years when the star appeared in the sky, and, and they moved towards it. And so we don't know if that star appeared like when Mary got pregnant or the night Jesus was born. We don't really know for sure. But within a couple of year window of his birth, the Magi come rolling in to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. So, so they're, they're the kings that we're familiar with in this story. But there's more kings than that in this story. We have the child in the manger or the little rugrat running around as a two-year-old. You know, I'm, I'm curious what Jesus was like uh, in his terrible twos. I don't know. I'm guessing maybe they were a little bit better than some of our two-year-olds. But there's King Jesus. And so these, these three wise men, these three kings, they show up to worship King Jesus. But there's another king in the story that we often don't think about, and that's King Herod. Anybody ever heard of King Herod? So we're going to do something a little bit unusual. Um, I rarely grab a sermon that I have preached previously. I always start fresh. I might pull from some old study notes, but I always start fresh. But this, the meat of this is from a sermon I preached about four or five years ago, and I just felt like it was worth leaning into again. We were talking as a church staff Monday and staff meeting and talking about the idea of waiting for a little bit on the Holy Spirit series. And as we were talking, it just felt like this message and some other things we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks really tied in with what our heart was this particular Christmas season. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into this here, and we're going to look at Jesus through the eyes of King Herod, through the eyes of King Herod. And so we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. I'll just read a couple of verses along the way, and a lot of the story I'm just going to tell as we go. Uh, but we need to understand something. As the Magi show up looking, and they follow this star, and they have a sense that, that they're going to the Jewish people, and so they go to the capital. They go to Jerusalem. And they roll into town, and they believe they're looking for a future king who's just been born. And so what do they do? They go to the palace, and they show up to King Herod's place looking for this king. Now, there's something that we need to understand about Herod to get his reaction when these magi show up. King Herod is not a king in the traditional sense. Okay, if we look at the Old Testament kings of Israel, they followed a line of birth. There was King David. He gave birth to King Solomon and on down the line. It was, it was a lineage. It was by birth. But at this point in Israel's history, they are subservient to the Roman Empire and their ruler has been appointed by Rome. So it was the Caesar that had appointed Herod to be king. He was not the rightful king by birth. And in fact, he had gotten his position by working all of the political channels. And so originally he started out, his dad made him the governor of Galilee. 
His dad was in charge for a while and he was made the governor of Galilee. Well, then there was a coup at some point and his dad was losing power and there was this fight about who was gonna gain political power in Jerusalem and take over. And so Herod flees to Rome and he goes and he sucks up to the Caesar that's there. Now, the Caesar at the time is Mark Anthony of Cleopatra fame. Kind of interesting for some of you history buffs there. And so he sucks up to him and he's greasing palms and he's trying to get in good. And so he convinces Mark Anthony to let him come back and bring order to the region and make him king over Israel. And so he gets appointed king and he's given a Roman army and he rolls back in and takes over Jerusalem and that area now because of this. Um, along the way, some things happen and a, a new Caesar comes to power. And so, of course, what does Herod do? He hightails it back up to Rome and makes sure he's in good with now the current Caesar, Caesar Augustus, who you'll find in the story there if you read the scripture. And so what we have to understand about Herod is um, his position is tenuous. He, he doesn't hold this position because it's a birthright and he's gonna be king till he dies. He has held this position by, by working through all of the political channels, by greasing the right palms, by having the right people happy with him, by making sure he's doing a good job collecting enough taxes to send them back to Rome so he gets to hold his position. Does that, does that give you a little bit of a sense of Herod? This guy has worked very hard to grab the position that he has. And as we're gonna see as the story progresses, he's fought off a lot of people along the way to hold that position. So we pick up the story and these, this mysterious caravan shows up, the Magi. Now we call them the three kings. The only reason we call them that is because they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're, they're, we don't know the number. This was a group of traveling Magi. They may have been kings, like they may have had some political power, but actually their title is, is really more like a mystic. Uh, the magi is even where we get our word magician. And so these were wise, mystical guys. They studied the stars. They knew history. And so between looking at the stars and studying history and old prophecies, they believed that something significant was happening because of that star. In fact, um, a lot of historians believe that the reason they knew this, that their descent was of Persian descent, echoing all the way back to the time when Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were serving the kings of the Babylonian Empire, and then the Medes and Persians took over. And so in that time frame, when Daniel and his friends were in captivity, they achieved positions of authority and wisdom and Daniel was given a prophecy about the arrival of Israel's coming king. And so you can go back and read in Daniel, he actually maps out date to date when the king would show up. And many historians believe that these magi were remnants of those wise men of the Medes and Persians who'd kept track of this prophecy. And then they see the star and go, this is the moment. The king of the Jews is coming. 
All right, so there's, there's kind of the scene. These guys have traveled for a couple years. They follow the star. They roll into Jerusalem. They're looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews, and they show up to, on Herod's doorstep. All right, are we, we ready to jump into the scripture now? Okay, so in Matthew chapter two, verse two, they arrive, they get an audience with Herod, and they say what I just said. They ask him, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. You better believe he was troubled. These guys are looking for the one who's the rightful king, who's been born king of the Jews. When Herod hears this, he hears a threat. He hears his power and his kingdom um, under attack. He might lose it. In fact, this is such a big deal. These guys have traveled for two years looking for this king. And so he panics. And so he's trying to figure out, what do I do? How do I use this situation? How do I protect my kingdom? And so he calls the chief priests and Pharisees and say, hey, help me figure out what these guys are looking for. And his wheels are already turning. How can I protect my kingdom? And so, as we know, the chief priests and the scribes, they dig into the scriptures and they come back and they say, well, if they're looking for the king that's supposed to be born, the coming Messiah, in, in Micah, in his prophecy, he tells us he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so in Micah chapter five, verse two, this is the verse they would have brought to Herod. And Micah writes and he says, but to you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, just a tiny little town, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And so now we arrive to this prophecy of King Jesus, who's been born humbly in a manger, in a tiny little town that no one thinks of as significant or important. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in the king's castle he wasn't born obviously as king of the Jews. He was born hidden and unseen. And so as opposed to Herod, who's fought and grabbed for his position of power and he gets his value from his position, from his place, we see Jesus the exact opposite. He comes in humility. He's born in a manger in Bethlehem. He grows up in this little town of Nazareth. We see in Jesus' life, Nazareth would thought of as just kind of this, what good thing can come from Nazareth? One of his disciples said that when somebody tried to tell him that the Messiah had come. And during his ministry, man, he didn't live in a castle. He wandered. He slept outside. He traveled. He, was, he lived a nomadic type life. Not only that, but when he makes his big triumphal entry, does he come riding into Jerusalem on a white horse with an army around him? He rides in on a donkey. I mean, that's as humbling as it can get. He rides in on a donkey. When Jesus is betrayed to his death, he, he dies the humiliating death of a thief on a cross. The cross was used as a sign of a curse, of embarrassment, the worst of the worst were killed on a cross. Murderers, thieves. Jesus came in ultimate humility. Jesus himself summed up what his kingdom would be like. In Matthew, same gospel, in chapter 20, 
Jesus begins to compare his kingdom versus the kings of this world. And he tells his disciples, he says, they lord it over men. They exercise great authority over them. The rulers of this world, they put themselves in charge and they keep everybody else down low. But not me. He says in Matthew 20, verse 28, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for for many. Humility. Jesus came in humility. Listen, humility is not about how much or how little you have or how important or unimportant you are. It's about what you do with what you have. And Jesus came in humility. He laid it all down on behalf of others. He gave up his heavenly position and he even gave up earthly position. His life was a life of humility. This is the exact opposite of Herod. Herod promoted himself at the cost of others to gain a kingdom. Jesus humbled himself for the sake of others to give a kingdom. What a difference. What a contrast. And so in looking at Herod's life for just a minute here this morning, I think one of the questions that that we would do well to ask ourselves is, how do I rule my kingdom? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read like the villains in a story, really in any story, but in scripture when I'm reading about the villains, I, I don't really like comparing myself to them. I, I don't read that part of the story and go, oh, I can relate to that. Yeah, I'm kind of just like that Herod guy. And, and on some level, right, hopefully none of us in here have like, betrayed and murdered people to get our positions of power and authority or whatever we have, but we all have a little kingdom. I don't know if you view your life that way, but you do. You have an area of influence that you, you are responsible for. It's your world. You, you might have a family, a job, you've got possessions, you've got a place to live, and the question is, how do we rule that kingdom? Do we rule it with humility? Do we, do we hold it loosely in order to worship God and serve other people? Or do we use our little kingdom to get what we want, to glorify ourselves? Do I use the relationships around me? Do I use my finances just to satisfy my needs, my wants, my desires? Or do I approach my kingdom the way Jesus approached his, with humility, with humility? That's point one. Jesus was a humble king. Point number two. We've already kind of alluded to this a little bit. Jesus was a hidden king. He wasn't obvious. Herod now sees that there is somewhere unknown to him, this king, this child who's been born. He's in this tiny little town of Bethlehem. And he decides, I've got to start working to figure this out. I got to keep this under wraps and I got to find this guy. And so he calls the wise men back to himself now that he knows this child was born in Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter two, verse seven, it says, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, he has no intention of worshiping this king. But Herod starts working in the background, behind the the, the scenes, 
to discover where this child is and ultimately to put a stop to this so he can hold on to his power and his position. See, there's some other things from Herod's history that we have to know. Not only was he known for greasing palms and political moves, he was known for his cruelty. He would crush any threat to his power. Um, I've got some examples for you. He was known to have bribed and fought for power to get his position from the Romans. He had killed multiple people to hold his position, including his mother-in-law, one of his wives, and even his sons. This was a cruel, vicious guy who would stop at nothing to hold on to his power in his place. And yet, this power that he had, this title that he had, this position that he had, it was a mirage. He worked so hard for this outward public kingdom to think much of himself and to enjoy his rule and his authority. And yet, it was a mirage. It could be gone like that. The emperor could wake up tomorrow and go, eh, I'm done with him. Time for a new guy, and it would be gone in an instant. But as Herod was working to promote himself at no matter what cost to anybody else, Jesus' life was hidden, and his kingdom was hidden, and yet it's as real as it gets. He was the promised king that was talked about of old. He was the king from the line of David, even born in the same town David was born in, in Bethlehem. And just like his father David, he was not an obvious king. Check this out. When David was selected as king, he was the youngest of all of his brothers. The prophet Samuel shows up to anoint a king, and he's looking at the oldest. He's tall, he's strong, he's handsome. He's like, that's got to be the one. And God goes, "Uh uh-uh, that's not him. And he goes on down the line. And he gets to the end, and he's talking to Jesse, the father, and he's like, do you have any sons left? None of these guys were the guy. And he's like, well, I mean, there's little old David out there, you know, watching the sheep in the field. And he's like, call him in. And so David gets called in and brought before Samuel. And the Lord says this to Samuel to let him know that, that David is the one. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus was just like David. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this. There was nothing particularly obvious about Jesus that said he was gonna be king. There's this picture painted of him in the gospels. He just was an ordinary looking guy. Do you understand? He didn't show up in a town with like his credentials. If he came visiting your town, he wasn't wearing a crown. He didn't have a title. He just was this normal looking guy. People knew who his parents were. They knew where he was from. They're like, you're just the carpenter's son from Nazareth. Who are you? There was nothing particularly obvious or special about him. But yet, his kingdom was as real as it gets. It was, it was a long-term eternal kingdom. But Jesus remained hidden to Herod because he was not looking for a king. He was looking to hold on to his kingdom. I I think it's interesting the difference between the Magi and Herod, right? Here's these guys, they're successful. We see that even just from the gifts that they give away. They're successful, they're powerful, they're intelligent. Think about this. They gave up 
two years of their life because a baby got born in a little town in the middle of nowhere. But they were so compelled to find him, they gave up two years of their life, spent all their resources, arrive at the scene, not to make much of themselves, to make much of him. They went looking for the hidden king. Guys, we're in the same situation today. Jesus is not obvious. We can miss him. In fact, I think often the ones that can miss him the most are the ones that are most familiar. We can get lost in just the routine of of church and life and doing the thing that we forget. Like, we have a glorious king who humbled himself, gave his life for us. He loves us, and he has secured something for us that is eternal. Listen, one of the things that I know this time of, of season happens, I know that some of us, life's good. We're great. We love the holidays. You know, we get into the Christmas songs and the decorating, and we know we're going to have fun with our family, and we're going to enjoy time with our kids, and it's great. And it can just get busy, and it can get full. I, I know for many of us, the holidays are tough. It actually, it actually highlights hard things. It reminds us of loss. It reminds us of brokenness in our families. It can be a reminder that we're alone when we don't want to be. And the truth is, that goes beyond just the Christmas season. Life can get that way. But Jesus is present, and he's real, and he's alive, and he has a glorious kingdom that he wants to share with us if we are willing to search for the hidden king. I don't know what that might look like for you this season. But I I would encourage you to pause and go, okay, maybe my issue isn't, do I need to have a little bit more humility with how how I approach my life and what I've been given? Maybe, Maybe I just need to slow down in the midst of the busyness of life and pause to see my king, to look for him, to see what he's up to in my life today. What's he doing right here around me? How can I seek his presence and find him? How can I love on the people he calls me to love? What might that look like, seeing the hidden king? That's what Jesus did. He talked regularly about the hidden elements of his kingdom. He said, I've got living water. You can't see it, but I've got living water. It will refresh your soul. I'm the bread of life. I've got what will sustain you and satisfy you. He talked about a throne It was a heavenly throne that we haven't seen yet. Not only that, not only did he talk about having a a throne, he told Pilate, I have a kingdom and an army that you don't see. And I could call them, I could snap my finger and they would show up. The only power you have is what's been given to you from above. And see, instead what Jesus did in the midst of having a hidden kingdom, he focused on people who were hidden. See, the truth is, if we feel lost or hidden in the middle of this season, you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus loves and cares about. He spent his life with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the thieves, the murderers, fishermen. He also spent his time with Roman soldiers, hated by the Jewish people as they were enslaved by them. He spent time with Samaritans. He even had time for priests like Nicodemus, who would look for a hidden king. 
He might not be obvious. He might be hidden, but he's real and his kingdom is real. And that leads us to our last point this morning. He's not just a humble king. He's not just a hidden king. He's a heavenly king. His kingdom is eternal. See, the reality is in the midst of this story, you know, as, as Herod is trying to hunt him down and find him and put a stop, this, he's grasping to hold on to the kingdom that he has. Jesus had this unbelievable thing happening. He's a baby. I don't know if we think about that. Like, he couldn't control things. He couldn't plan things. He was at the mercy of his humble parents. And yet, because he was a heavenly king, he was cared for and protected. After, after the Magi find him and worship him, they're warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod. And so they leave another way and don't come back to Herod. Not only that, his parents are warned by an angel that shows up in a dream to say, hey, you gotta get out of Bethlehem. And so they go and hide in Egypt. And so some time passes. Herod's waiting for the report about where this king is. He gets furious when he realizes he's been deceived. And check this out, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and it's all its districts, from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. He knew they'd been following the star for two years, so he did the math and goes, all right, this baby has to be somewhere between zero and two, so every male child in Bethlehem, wipe them out. Think about the cruelty of this guy. Think about how broken his thinking has become. I know it's not easy to put ourselves in that place, but what we don't realize is that it starts here. One moment of fighting for and grasping for what I can get out of this life. One moment of using another person or relationship for what I get out of it instead of loving and serving them. Little by little, a life consumed with self, fighting and clawing for whatever I can get, it destroys us. It, it eats us up from the inside and it's all for nothing. It's all for something fleeting and temporary. I just wonder how much of our lives we spend trying to grab things that are gonna be gone in an instant anyways. Fighting for the temporary when the eternal is before us. And in the midst of this, this wickedness and this destruction, there was a heavenly power at work that had its hand over the life of Jesus and he was protected Herod ends up killing Bethlehem's sons to keep a temporary kingdom. And you know what? He ends up dead. He ends up dead anyways, not, not long after. A few verses down, verse 19. Three verses later from when he has all the children of Bethlehem killed. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother, and he came to the land of Israel. What will I live my life in pursuit of? The temporary or the eternal? What will I spend my energy, my resources on? Trying to grasp at things that aren't gonna last or living in view of a heavenly kingdom that Jesus has made available? You know what's eternal? God's eternal. 
His love for us, that's eternal. A place that he's made for us in his kingdom, that's eternal. You know what else lasts forever? You and I. You and I. And in all the hectic busyness of day-to-day life, and the, and the all-consuming power of the moment, the reality is that we are eternal beings. And the people we interact with every day, they are eternal beings. And what's before us is a gift. See, where Herod was willing to kill to keep a temporary kingdom, Jesus was willing to die in order to give an eternal kingdom. That, that's our king. That is our humble, hidden, and heavenly king. And he offers us the grace and the life and the security of eternity with him and the joy of living like this now. See, the reality, what what I wanna encourage us with as we wrap up this morning is this. There's something significant about the three gifts that the wise men bring. The way they worshiped this humble, hidden, heavenly king, they brought three things. They brought their treasure. They brought gold. That's humility. They humbled themselves before the humble king. They said, what I've got is yours. And so they brought their gold. They brought their treasure. They brought frankincense to this hidden king. You know what frankincense is represented throughout scripture? It's always been associated with prayer. It's the incense that was burned by the priests in the temple. It's associated with prayer. What's prayer? Man, it's, it's our hopes and it's our fears. It's the things we long for and the things we're desperate for. It's the things we can't wait to see and the things that we wish would change. It's, it's, it's the hidden stuff in life that only God can touch. See, we can actually bring to him as a gift our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our desires, our worries. We can bring those to him in worship and say, God, I trust you with this. We can humble ourselves and bring that to him. And the last thing they bring, they bring myrrh. Myrrh was associated with death. It was a part of the embalming process. It was a way that you would preserve a body that you were burying. And ultimately, that's how we worship Jesus. We trust him with our eternal souls. And we trust him to preserve us in this life and into the next life. And so as we move towards Christmas this week, I would just, I would encourage you to reflect. I, I realize it's weird talking about Herod and I mean, he's just this cruel guy and I'm not saying you're Herod. I'm not saying I'm Herod. What I'm saying is watch out. Watch out for living a life that's so wrapped up in the temporary that we're missing the eternal that's all around us. We're missing the people that are right here. Don't get so wrapped up in the management and running of your life and just trying to control it and get what happiness you can muster out of it. Instead, live humbly and trust him with your life. Let him be king of it. I promise it's worth it. He'll take care of you. And ultimately, man, in the busyness and in the hard things, when you just feel lost and hidden and alone and you feel like maybe God doesn't see how difficult things are right now, he sees He sees you and he knows and he loves you and you can worship him even with your worries and your cares. He says to do that. He says, cast your cares on me because I care for you.
And so we can worship him with our prayers. Let's approach him like that this week, this season, and remember our humble, hidden, and heavenly king. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you stand apart. You stand in glory. God, I thank you that you are returning one day on that white horse with that army. You love us. You're coming back for us one day. We thank you that you have a heavenly and an eternal kingdom. But God, I thank you that you are here now, that you love us, that you are with us. God, I, I pray that we would learn to live humble lives before you. God, not trying to grasp and control and run our lives, but entrusting you with both the temporary and the eternal. God, help us to have your eyes to see the people that are around us that we can love and serve, that we would invest in people because people live forever. God, that we would entrust you with our hopes, with our fears, with our worries, with our concerns. God, that we'd worship you with our prayers this season. God, we love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.